Hi, this is Regaline Sabat, also known as Gigi. You're listening to Walk With Me Podcast. My guest today is Renee Michelle. Renee Michelle is a magnetic powerhouse. She exudes passion, fierce determination, and is committed to living a life fueled by purpose to equip and empower survivors of child abuse, gender violence, and sexual assault. Renee is an abuse recovery coach, published author, advocate, mentor, international speaker, and consultant. In 2019, she was appointed as Australian Ambassador for the National Association of Adult Child Abuse Survivors, that's N-A-A-S-C-A, and named one of eight female change makers of 2020 by YMAG, Australia's leading women's empowerment magazine. Renee herself experienced decades of sexual, physical, and psychological abuse that commenced in childhood, which caused her life to spiral out of control well into adulthood. Repeated sexual assaults, multiple violent relationships, and addictions to drugs and alcohol led Renee down a dark and lonely path, which included three suicide attempts, the earliest when she was only 10 years old. Through the sharing of her story, coupled with formal qualifications that include a Bachelor of Applied Social Science, Diploma Counseling, and an Advanced Diploma Management, today Renee is a highly sought-after coach for professional women, lady bosses, and CEOs all over the world equipping and empowering each individual which, with practical tools to unleash their inner warrior, determine their priceless worth, and create the life they crave and deserve. Renee's mission is clear, and that is to save lives. Survivors are not defined by their experiences, nor are they limited by them, says Renee Michelle. And welcome to the podcast, Renee. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, I got tingles. I'm like, yes, let's just dominate this world and encourage and give hope everywhere, right? Yes, ma'am. Now, why don't you start off by telling us about you and where you're from? I am from the Sunshine Coast all the way in Australia. So it's morning for me, first thing, and evening for you. So this is the best way to start the day, right? Yes, ma'am. I'm excited. I'm excited. I can't wait. And I'm excited to have you here. Now, you're a survivor of domestic violence, decades of sexual and physical and psychological abuse that commenced in your childhood, repeated sexual assaults, multiple violent relationships, addictions to drugs and alcohol. Can you tell us about each experience and how you overcame them? Yeah, sure. So my abuse started at around the age 10. Unfortunately, I grew up in a very small country town where things back in the 80s were not talked about. Anything that wasn't pretty or nice was swept under the carpet. And my mother was an alcoholic. So the men that she would meet when she was out on the weekends, she would bring home. And unfortunately, those men became my abusers. And because of my mum's own addiction and her inability to provide and nurture, you know, and provide me with the love that I needed at such a young age, I kept that to myself for fear of also losing her because she was my everything. So even though there was this confusion, you know, you're my mum, you're supposed to look after me. I could see even at that age, she was not able to do so for her own inner pain. To this day, she still hasn't dealt with wherever that came from. However, the judgment cause, or the bad judgment, I should say, uh, resulted in me suffering my entire childhood and adolescence because that abuse did not end until I moved out of home. And here in Australia, the legal age to move out without needing your parents' consent is 16. So I, as soon as that age came around, I was gone. But I had never been modelled what it meant to look after myself. I had never been modelled what a healthy functioning relationship looked like. I was terrified of men. I had zero self-confidence and I hated myself. So I took that into every interaction I had with every other human being on the planet. 
So I entered into many domestic violence relationships because I just thought that that's what you did. You just gave men what they wanted. It was actually something my mum said to me when I was very young. Just give them what they want and they'll take care of you. So I had all this dysfunctional thinking and very limiting self-beliefs. I thought I was unworthy. I thought I was disgusting. And I blamed myself for what had happened to me because I didn't speak up. And that is something that victims do, victims of violence do, particularly in childhood, right? Because we don't rationalise what has happened to us. I mean, how can you? And because I froze every time I was assaulted, the shame I felt after that, because I thought, well, why didn't you run? Why didn't you scream? And it wasn't until much later when I learned about trauma and the effects on the brain and the body of why we do that. It's survival. So after suffering that shame for so long and not knowing how to manage it, I used alcohol and drugs to mask that. The, from the outside world, I looked like I had it all together. I always had a smile on my face and I was always friendly. But inside, I was terrified. I was terrified of conflict, terrified of men. So if a man raised his voice at work, I would just shut down. So you can imagine all these things led to quite dysfunctional and flawed living. So every time I would try to make progress and go, yay, things are going to get better, because I had no true sense of who I was, no identity as such, it was never going to work until I found that for myself, which came at the age of 26 when I had my beautiful daughter. And that was when I was like, whoa, okay, girl, <laughs> there is no more falling down and not getting back up. You are getting back up and you are staying up. And I wanted to do that for her and I needed to do that for her. Um, and there began that 16 year journey of really rebuilding my life from the ground up. But it started with a relationship with Christ. I had, I'd always known that God existed. I used to pray when I was cowering in the corner of my bedroom. I've recalled this many times. When I was 10 years old, waiting to be hit or waiting for something terrible to happen. I can remember praying, saying, God, please get me out of here. Please get me out of here. I was always aware that he existed, but I thought he was for good people. <laughs> and I didn't see myself worthy of such a God. But when I stumbled into church at, at my darkest point, I just had my daughter. She was almost a year old and I tried everything else. Nothing had worked. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go into my local church. And I'm just going to pray. And that day, amazingly, God is so funny, right? There were women on the platform speaking about their child abuse, how they'd overcome, how they'd rebuilt their lives, how they'd gone on to have a family and be healed. And I was like, what's going on? He's talking just to me. And I couldn't move out of my seat for two hours I sat there. I sat there for the next service. I was just floods of tears, overwhelmed, put my arm up, responded to the call for Christ to accept him into your life and have never, ever looked back. And he rebuilt me from the inside out. That's why I'm here today. That's why I'm able to share my story because of what he rebuilt and restored in my life. That is amazing and very powerful. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Now, what has given you the most joy and fulfillment in your life? Yeah, I have to say parenthood. Becoming a mother, it was, it was a surprise. It, like, I always knew that I had so much love to give, but I was also so terrified of giving that love because every time I had, it, I, it had been trampled on. 
Um, so when I had my daughter, and it's amazing, you know, everything fell off me when I, when I had my daughter. I had no craving for drugs or alcohol. I had no, um, outs, my blinders were on. It was all about this child, you know. She became my everything for the right reasons. And the overwhelming sense of love and adoration and commitment towards this little human being, even before she was born, was so overwhelming. And the fulfillment that my children, I now have two children, have given me has just gone on and on. However, when I was thinking about this question, I thought also finding Christ and understanding that we can actually walk out our lives with Jesus that fulfillment is a whole nother level. But what it does is it has made me the mother I am, the fiance I am, the daughter that I am. And without him, I could not love the way that I do. I could not give and be the person that I am. So I think it's a twofold answer. So in the outworkings, it's definitely my role as a mum. But without him, I couldn't be the mum that I am. Amen. I love it. Now, how did you make the decision to choose the vocation you did? And did you ever pivot at some point in your life journey? This was um, quite accidental. And I think this is also something that happens when we're living out our purpose, sometimes without even being aware of that, right? So when I first um, went back to work after having my son, somebody within the church said, hey, we... we um, support a residential rehab for young girls that are dealing with issues like assault, uh, unplanned pregnancies, addiction, so on and so forth. Would you like to volunteer your time? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I was just doing a few hours at night in between breastfeeding my son. I would race home to feed him and then I would race back to this centre. It was crazy. And within three months, I was approached by staff there saying, you found your thing. This is where you belong. The girls love you. You're a natural. We want to offer you a permanent position. And I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I started just on a Sunday, I would take a group of girls and we would sit under this big tree in the front courtyard on a Sunday. We'd all grab our coffee and we'd sit in the sun. And they just wanted to know about me, you know, my children, what it was like to be a mum. And that's when I realised their stories were so similar to mine in different ways particularly around the abuse and no self-image. So I started to share just tiny little bits of my journey and where I was. And I would see the girls lean in and I would see their eyes get really wide. And I was like, there's something in this. And they would come back to me and go, I now have hope because I believe I can see that I can overcome it because you've done it. And that's when I went, that's it. For the rest of my life, I'm sharing my story. I'm doing whatever it takes to prove and to show people you can overcome whatever happens to you. And I've been doing it ever since. Amen. Very powerful. Now, was there a time in your journey when you experienced an aha moment? Yeah, absolutely. There's been quite a few of those. <laughs> but, but one in particular, and I've now incorporated this into all of my training and coaching and programs, is that fundamental truth about our identity. Because once I realized that my identity that I had been living under was so flawed and so wrong, I could start to see why I had made all those mistakes and why I had thought incorrectly that had led me down the wrong path. It all went back to how I saw myself. 
So I had to strip all that away. And I started going straight to the Bible and saying, well, who does God say I am? Because I didn't know who I was. I really didn't. That was like a mystery to me. But God knew who I was. So I went to the truth, to the rule book, to where it all began. And I started reading his word. And that's when I started saying, I'm righteous. I'm clean. I'm worthy. I'm priceless. That's where I started. That became my scaffolding, my foundation. And now with all the women I work with, at the, at the centre of their pain and shame and just their confusion is they don't know who, truly who they are. They truly don't understand their worth. So I always take it back to identity first. Once we get that strong, we can build the other layers and we can go from strength to strength. Amen. Now, what is your best advice to the audience for walking with purpose and living a life of happiness? This is, this is something that I was thinking about and I thought, you know what, in today's world where we have so much noise, we have so much, the marketplace is crowded, um, the advice is everywhere of how to live your best life, but each one of us really does measure success, fulfillment and happiness quite differently. Everybody's measuring stick, I guess you could say, is quite different and unique to us based on our experiences and, and how we see the world. For me, having lost my, nearly lost my life three times due to suicide, I have become so grateful for the tiniest little things. Being able to walk on the beach without fear of my ex-husband saying, where are you? What are you doing? You can't leave the house. And now when I leave the house, just because I want to, I'm like, thank you, God. So I've become very, um, very easy to please. I don't sweat the small stuff, I call it. I choose my battles, you know, I stay away from drama. And for me, success truly is having a happy, healthy family, you know, coming home every night and having a roof over my head, knowing that my children, they're 18 and 15 now, they've never been abused. They've, they've never known the life that I had. To me, that's success. To me, that, that makes me happy. Very powerful. Now, can you tell us about your experience with overcoming suicide, as you mentioned? Yeah, look, that was, a, that was a, again, such a confusing... When I, when I published my book last year, I talk about the mindset that I was in at each of those times of my life, when I was 10, 17, and then 19. As a 10-year-old, I was so terrified and so hopeless um, I could never see how this was going to end. I mean, a 10-year-old, you want everything, you want it right now. You can't think tomorrow, let alone five years from now. So, you know, goal setting, oh my gosh, you, you just, you live moment to moment. The pain was so intense and the fear, and I had no escape route that I just wanted it to end. I can't, I can't remember ever going, oh, you know, I actually want to die, but I wanted it to stop. I just wanted to go to sleep. And I know that sounds like a romantic notion, but to a 10-year-old, that's about as complex as it was. And thank God it didn't work. But those thoughts never really left me because the hopelessness until I found God never left me. So then at 17, I overdosed. And at 19, I, I, I died for 60 seconds and had to be revived. And I can remember waking up that time just going, you know what? If I have to be here, I have to figure this thing called life out. And that was when I started, I guess, my first personal development journey. I went back to college. 
I started getting a qualification and really started to try to better myself. And it all starts with mindset. People that are suicidal, they're just lost. They're broken. They can't see that it's ever going to change. That's what's so powerful about us sharing our stories. People need to see that it can change and we just have to keep doing it. So I just always say to people, please hold on. It's always darkest before the dawn. It can and will get better, but surround yourself with people who can walk with you through those times. That's right. And you're a walking, talking testimony of what God can do and how he can get you through. And with God, all things are possible. Now, all things. Amen. And Renee, Amen. you also mentioned in regards to domestic violence, overcoming that, and now you're a survivor. Can you explain to the audience how you overcame that and how, how you left that, that matter, mm. that situation? Yeah, again, you know, I look back on all of these things and I think far out, did they actually really happen? Well, yeah, they did. <laughs> um, and, and this is another really amazing thing about God, right? He really does restore everything that we've lost. And we can look back and not even recognize who we were back then. So for me, I, you know, I used to say I am ashamed to admit it. However, I'm not because it's part of the process. So when I entered into a relationship with my ex-husband and we were married for 17 years, he was charming, he was funny, and I didn't pick up on any of the red flags because I still had no identity. So I still allowed myself to be controlled and manipulated because I thought that that's what a normal relationship was like. And as the years went on, it you know, became quite obvious to me, particularly when I got my qualifications, that he had narcissistic personality traits. So I was never allowed to have a password on my phone or email. Uh, all our accounts had to be joined. I wasn't allowed my own money, so I was controlled financially as well as emotionally. However, he, it, was really, it was really strange and quite interesting that he never projected it on the children when they were young. It was always onto me. It was almost like he tried to punish me by lavishing attention on them and giving none to me. So I figured out quite quickly the way to get through this because he controlled my money. I had no uh, resources to leave and the fear of, I guess, taking my children to a refuge, I felt I was going to replicate what I had in life. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to provide a stable home. So I allowed him to lavish attention on them. And I just took the brunt of it until I started to see when my children were around the age of 10, that it was starting to affect them. So I went and saw a psychologist. And this is very important for women that are looking to leave. I saw a psychologist. She took me to the police. We created what we called a safety plan, a go plan. And we let people in the background know what was going on. So at that pivotal moment when I would leave and take my children, if he responded badly because he was mentally unstable, they were already aware, they were all over this. So I had my bag ready to go and I had a strategy and an exit plan. And that's so crucial because we feel stuck when we're in domestic violence situations because mine was emotional. He didn't hit me. So a lot of people would say, oh, what? So he just gets cranky. And I would go, oh, am I overreacting? So getting that psychologist and talking it through with her, she was really the one that said, uh-uh, no, 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 this is not okay, you need to go. And she helped me do that. So reach out again for specialist help. Don't do this on your own. There's so many people out there talking about this now. Contact someone, let them know and create a plan so you can leave safely. Amen. Would you say that the exit plan helped you to leave 
Yeah, it gave me the confidence and it helped me to know that people were on my side, that it wasn't all in my head because I'd been there for so long. And like I said, I didn't have bruises. Mine were internal scars. Sometimes you do feel like, am I ruining my children's life just because I'm not coping here? You know, is this all about me? Because it becomes like this fog because it's your reality. You're like on autopilot. And I didn't trust my own judgment because I was so battered down. And this is what happens. Victim blaming. We blame ourselves. So I felt guilty for quite a while after I actually left going, oh my God, I've, I've torn apart our family. And I needed the psychologist there to continually go back to, hang on a minute, these are the things that he did. Is this what you want? And I was like, oh, yes, that's right. You need that, as that external coach who sees the entire field of what's going on and can actually go, no, 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 and make you aware of everything so you can take off your blinders. And that, that was crucial. That's right. Now, what are some of the signs that you're aware of now that you can tell the audience to look out for? Yeah, wow. There's so many. And this is one part of my teaching that I love doing with my girls is safety planning. So when we don't have a strong sense of who we are, we allow other people's needs and wants to take priority over our own. So I would sit there. Um, so let me take you back to when women are first encountering possibly a new partner. So they might be meeting for the first time. They might be having coffee. I had one of my clients ring me up and go, oh my gosh, your safety plan just saved years of heartache for me. And I said, oh, I explained what, what, was, what, what happened. She said, I had my list of all the things that I need and deserve in a relationship and how worthy I am. And she literally had just been writing a page, I am worthy, I am worthy, I am worthy. <laughs> she went to this date and it was just a coffee. It was just a cafe. They were having coffee. And he kept checking his phone. Now, in the past, she would say, oh, that's okay. He's a busy guy. You know, he's checking his phone. And she said, even if they got on the phone and had a long conversation, oh, that's okay. You know, I know we're on our first date, and, but that's okay. And she would overlook the fact he was not looking at her when he spoke to her. He was not giving her attention. He was constantly picking up his phone. And it didn't feel right. She didn't like how it made her feel. So she cut the appointment short, the coffee short. She said, you know what? I've actually got something to do. And she left. She felt so empowered. She felt excited because she said, Renee, I would have sat there in the past and just made allowances for how horrible he was making me feel, for how invisible he was making me feel. So I always have women make a list of what is important to you and what are some of the things that have happened in past relationships that didn't make you feel like you were being valued. And it was things like being ignored, having their needs um, you know, put down in, in importance. So his needs were always more important. What he wanted to do always took precedent. Her feelings never mattered. So they did like an inventory. And then every time they met someone else, they would go, is this how this person makes me feel? No, he validates me. No, he asks how I am. And they just keep going until it starts to flow. But if they don't do that, if they don't have a checklist, so to speak, they're totally unaware because you get caught up in the feeling. You don't get caught up in the practicality of what's happening. And we miss it and we make allowances. And five years later, we go, this was happening from date one. Why did I not 
uh, stand up and go, no. And it's because they did not know that this was going to continue and they dismissed it. But once they saw the pattern, they became fully knowledgeable and powerful. Now they can do something about it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Renee, for sharing that and sharing your story and also your tips and advice uh, for especially those that are going through that man or woman going through domestic violence, sexual assault, or even child abuse. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Now, where can the audience find you, Renee? Yeah, well, I definitely have a website and I also hang out quite a lot on Facebook and LinkedIn. So my website, ReneeMichelle.com, keep it very simple. And my Facebook page is called From Victim to Victory. So I have so many resources on there. I hang out there all the time. I'm constantly popping up and doing short little videos and trainings and we have live Q&A. So if anybody wants to be a part of that or just see anything else that I've done or a bit more about me and, or just say hi, please drop me a line, either email me through the website or uh, jump on the Facebook page. And the LinkedIn profile is just Renee Michelle as well. I love it. Can you tell us about your exclusive membership mastermind group? Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> this is like the biggest thing that's ever happened in the history of Renee Michelle since the business has been going out for about two years. And I sort of, I spoke about this about a year ago with my tribe. And even then people were like, yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing, but it's going to be huge. So I'm creating a membership site at the moment when we're neck deep in uh, creativity mode. It is going to be an exclusive group for 30 women who want to level up their personal and their professional life. So I'm going to be in there every week doing live coaching calls. Every month we're going to have a, a group mastermind where we all come on board. There's going to be exclusive interviews with guests. There's going to be tons of weekly content in there where people have just got a one-stop empowerment shop. That's what I'm calling it. And they can just go in, they can meet with like-minded women and they can create their safe community within a community and they can just take their whole life to the next level, knowing they've got that constant support around them to do so. Absolutely amazing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Battle Scars Are Beautiful From Victim to Victory is available on Renee's website and every major online bookstore. However, for everyone who purchases a book via Renee's website, she will personally sign and include a thank you gift also. And Renee's book has been endorsed by counselors, law enforcement, first responders, and war veterans as a powerful guidebook for inspiring hope and resilience in the lives of abuse survivors. Renee's book has also provided a unique insight into the experience of an abuse victim and the complex and long-lasting effects it has on victims giving caregivers, therapeutic support services, police officers, schools, and community members first had advice on how to better care for support child abuse survivors. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure to check out Renee's website, www.renemichelle.com. Michelle, uh, Facebook, From Victory to Victory, and YouTube, and her YouTube channel, and Instagram, Renee Michelle. And Renee, Woo! thank you so much for being a guest on Walk With Me podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. You're welcome. Have a blessed day, Renee. You too.